Hey, Crossings Podcast community. This week's teaching is part two of three in our series called My Most Important Question. It was taught by Caroline Schoonover, Austin Greco, and Megan Hughes on June 18, 2023. Thanks for listening. Hello. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. If this day is hard for you due to having lost a father or a strained or absent um, relationship with a father, we are glad you are here also. We hope that we can hold this space with you today. So of the weird things that we do at Crossings, this is one of the weirder ones. We are in week two of three of something we call my most important question. And we have been doing this since the beginning of Crossings, and what we do is invite folks in the community to stand up here and share parts of their story and ask one of their most important questions about life or faith or God. Some people have resolved their questions, and some haven't. We don't always uh, know what people's questions are going to be before they do this, and this year we've added an extra challenge. If you're familiar with Pachakacha, we stole their format. We've asked people uh, to do their most important questions in seven minutes with seven slides. It's really easy, seven minutes to present your most important question about life and faith and God. And we do this for a lot of reasons. One being is, like Caleb said last week, you're tired of hearing from me and Caleb by this point in the year. Another reason is that we think it's important to share this microphone with a variety of voices and perspectives. Another is that we think it's a practical way that we live out this value that we have of holding space to authentically wrestle with God to recognize that faith isn't a box that we check off and all of a sudden we've arrived, but it's an ongoing pursuit of God. And asking questions isn't like this new cool idea we made up. If you're looking for a summer project, it might be a neat activity to go through the entire Bible and underline or highlight the questions that people ask God. We saw this a lot in our study of the Psalms, Maybe some of these will be your questions, too. In Psalm 10, the psalmist asks, Why, Lord, do you stand so far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In Job 13, Job asks God, How many wrongs and sins have I committed? Show me my offense and my sin. In Matthew 11, John, while in prison, asks Jesus, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? In Mark 10, a rich man asks Jesus, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And in Luke 10, the wise teacher asks Jesus, Who is my neighbor? See, these questions and ours, if you get to the heart of them, mostly aren't about seeking information, are they? Our faith questions, our God questions, reveal something about our desires and longings. I believe this, too, to be a form of prayer. So we have three people this week. We have three more people next week. And at the beginning of July, our friend Rabbi Alon Ferency is going to join us to talk a little bit about art and God and spirituality. But I like what Kayla presented last week, which is to pay attention to what goes on inside of you as people are sharing 
as they are wrestling with their questions. Maybe you relate to them and their questions. Maybe you don't. Maybe you don't even like their question. Maybe you've never struggled with the question they're asking. All of that is okay. See, what this is is a practice of hospitality, making space for one another, our stories, our questions. And true hospitality, the radical kind, makes space for those who might make us even feel uncomfortable or with whom we might disagree. So in the spirit of hospitality, to honor everyone who has shared and to make transitions less awkward, I'm going to ask you to clap or snap whatever in between each person. But please welcome, please make space for Caroline and Austin and Megan this morning. Hi, I'm Caroline Schoonover, and I am a rising senior at West High School, which is kind of really weird for me. Um, that's way too old. Probably weird for some of you as well. See, I grew up here at Crossings. This place, this community, has always been my home. Always a place I could just be. A place I could come and be surrounded by unconditionally loving, supporting, and encouraging people. Now, when I say Crossings, I say this place, this community, this faith community. But there's one word I'm not using this church. Actually, as I was beginning to write what I was going to say today, I found myself doing this, avoiding this word. And as I began to reflect, I realized that I do this kind of a lot. Whether I'm talking to an acquaintance or even a friend and crossings comes up, I typically stray away from using that word, church. As I came to this realization, I didn't think it was intentional at first, but maybe there are some good reasons why I don't like the title church. After all, this whole church thing has kind of, kind of a reputation, and let's be honest, it's not that great. Seriously, it's pretty hard to name a time and place in history where the church at large, the Christian church as an institution, is not majorly messed up. Even, and maybe especially today, are these troubling patterns particular, particularly prevalent. Just look around. The exposed misconduct of the megachurch, whether it's the rise and fall of Mars Hill podcast or the recent Secrets of Hillsong documentary. Or take a look at politics. The targeted and religion-fueled discriminatory legislation against the LGBT community. I think that one's particularly hard for me. When those close to me, or any queer person for that matter, are actively criminalized and told they are lesser than by a faith I supposedly believe in, that's not okay. When the religious part of my identity is vilifying another equally authentic and important part of me, that's not okay. None of it is. And it's not just queer people, it's so many marginalized communities rejected by the church, a space meant to be welcoming. Just 48 hours before we gathered here today, the Southern Baptist Convention voted to formally ban women from pastoral roles. I could go on. Yet, somehow, I still believe there is a God out there, a God that is empathetic and kind and good. Maybe because that's how I grew up, 
maybe because of the love of my family and community, or maybe I believe there's a God out there simply because I need there to be. No matter, I believe there is a God, and somehow I still believe this God's mission is shalom. Shalom, this Hebrew word we say so often together here at Crossings. More than peace, shalom is restoration and wholeness. Shalom is the way it was intended to be. A lot of the time, it feels like the church has abandoned this mission of shalom. For many, the church is synonymous with hurt rather than hope. So how do we be the church without being the church? What does it look like to be a community with God as it was intended to be? As my most important questions go here at Crossings, maybe what I just asked is repetitive. After all, I think my most important question is what Crossings dares to ask in the first place. But I'm here to ask it again, because I still don't know. The church, lowercase, can be good. I do know that because I've experienced it here at Crossings. This is a faith community, well, a church, who mourns, fights, and celebrates together. Not a place, but a people. A people committed to radical acceptance in a climate of extreme ostracization. This people, this church, is pretty okay. But how do we say that and mean it while still making and holding space for those who don't have that same experience with the church, with God? As I was typing up my final thoughts, probably way too late into last night, sorry about that, Molly. <laughs> I think I was hoping to reach some profound conclusion about what it means to be religious and queer and the post-postmodern church, but I don't have one. Maybe the answer is to keep doing what we're hopefully trying to do already. Maybe we continue to put people above an image. But really, like I said before, I have no idea. Thank you. Hello. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Austin Greco. Uh, I'm the student pastor here at Crossings, uh, and I'm excited to be here with you today and honored to be talking. Uh, I'm here to you today about hills. Yep, like hills, small bumps in the ground. Uh, they're easily one of my favorite landscapes. Uh, that's why I moved back here to Tennessee. Um, and also without hills, we couldn't have my favorite holes, which are the hobbit holes of the Shire, which is, I mean, I'm just a nerd. That has nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about. Probably my favorite, uh, we're going to be talking about hills this morning because the most important question is, as much as I like hills, uh, which hill, if any, am I willing to in my life, especially when it comes to faith, God, and relationships? The question of chill am I willing to die on that phrase originated with what happened on Hamburger Hill in Vietnam. And as much as I wish it was a hill like this, famous for delicious In-N-Out or Smashburger or my favorite Five Guys, uh, that's not a hill I'm willing to die on. If you have another favorite, want to take me out to lunch and try to convince me, you can do that. It's actually a much more somber and sobering beginning. It's to military events and strategies during war uh, in which the value of a hill, um, the high ground, is weighed against life. 
in Vietnam specifically on this hamburger hill, uh, there were several battles fought, lots of lives lost, um, only for a few months later to be abandoned. Move my hand up, oh, this way. Oh, off the bottom. Thanks, sorry, I didn't know I was getting it up. Yeah, so they capture this, they capture this hill in Vietnam, uh, lots of lives are lost, and it's abandoned, like months after that. So it raises this question in the media, literally, was this hill and its perceived value worth the cost in the end? For us not fighting in actual wars, this question has become a metaphor for which opinions, which parts of our lives, which hills on which we think and believe are worth sacrificing for, and how much are they willing to sacrifice? For me specifically, I've wrestled with my faith over time. These hills have shifted from one thing to another and have cost me more than I thought they ever would. But I was told and thought to believe uh, and came to believe that these hills were worth sacrificing anything for. I've seen this hill, and you have as well, Capitol Hill, uh, tear apart more than I ever thought possible, even in my own life and in my own faith. I was taught growing up, not necessarily by my parents, but just in the world that I grew up in, that there was uh, one way of voting, one way of thinking about America, one way of thinking about economy, uh, one way of thinking about how God and the Christian faith interact with politics. And if he thought differently than me, well, then our hills were gonna be at war. There was no middle ground. I've also climbed up the hill of church doctrine and fought hard on most of the hot button topics in the church for a long time. I've taken hard stances about certain beliefs of God and Jesus, uh, but I think it all really boiled down to which people are allowed to be on my hill or how to convert people to be on my hill. Or once they were there, what role or role they couldn't have on my hill. It was about what I believed and again, my doctrine and there was no middle ground. I could name many more ideas and things and people that I thought were worth right, uh, worth being right about, but what I found over time is that these things, they may be important, but I'm not sure they're worth the cost of fighting. In my fighting and defending and attacking on these hills, in my relentless pursuit to be right, I wasn't keeping track of what it was costing me. I think this question of which hill am I willing to die on has led me to more questions about God and faith than I thought it would. It has led me into uh, the transcendence of God, this mystery of who he is and, and the being that is out there. It's the willingness to sit down in the unknown and even more so the unknowable. When I look at these hills that I've been on, I've sacrificed because I thought I knew God. I thought I had figured God out. I thought I had his name and number and, and I could use my firm facts about him to control my faith and the faith of others. Because the mystery part, if I'm being honest, it just scared me. I like to know it all. I'm trying to embrace it more now. I'm, I'm a little bit older. My youth arrogance of uh, holding a leash on the creator and this transcendent being and turning him against Amy using him as ammunition against people is, has lessened. Because when I look at Jesus, who I think is our best example of knowing this God, and which hill he decides to die on in his life, I can only see one. 
and that's love. I know, church, cheesy, we've been talking about it, love, it's simple, uh, but it's obviously so complex that we've been talking about it for thousands of years now. I've come to some kind of place where the idea of fighting on a hill isn't really what Jesus stood for anyways. I mean, if there is a hill to be on, I wanna be on it with Jesus. But I think it's way less hostile than I originally thought. It's much more calm than a battlefield. It's much more inviting than bunkers and fortresses. Because in the past, these hills that I've fought on have cost me relationships with people that I, I loved. It's even cost me myself at times. I put myself in a position to be fighting people, to push them down and off my hill because I wanted to plant this victory flag of being right. And I struggled with myself and who I am because of these hills and them becoming my identity. So which hill am I willing to die on? Has become the question of, am I okay with not being right? Am I okay with valleys in between hills? Am I okay with not so black and white dichotomy thinking and being in the gray? Am I okay with not having all the answers? Am I okay with not knowing the unknowable? Am I okay with giving up my hill for the sake of someone else's? Am I even okay with fighting and dying on somebody else's hill for them? As much as I love hills in real life, just not sure they're worth dying on anymore. Gosh, I feel like after listening to those two, I already want to change what I'm going to say and have more thoughts. So thanks, guys. Hi, my name is Megan Hughes, and I'm a grateful part of this Crossings community. My family is new to Knoxville, and we've been attending Crossing for about eight months. And we keep coming back here because this place and these people allow us to keep wondering about our faith together. I've been rolling my question around in a bunch of different formats, but what I think I'm really struggling with is this tension. If God really is pure love, then hateful beliefs cannot be from God. If God is love, then it's not possible to use God to prop up ideas or actions that are not loving. I'm having a hard time with this because our country feels so polarized right now. It's not just politically, although that is certainly true, but also in any Christian beliefs. If we are to understand the Bible literally, as in if we understand the Bible as a piece of literature that is trying to teach us something, then we see the story of God to be about love, acceptance, community, and grace, but mostly that God is love. And in being love, we understand Jesus to be a person who was always, always for the people society wanted to toss out. He was for tax collectors and women and lepers and adulterers. We understand God to have called us to live into community where we love and uplift one another. We understand God to love us so big and so deep, no matter who we are. We understand God to have made every single one of us in his image. 
So if those things are true and we are commanded to live in this world as the hands and heart and feet of God, then I think we need to live all those things. We are to be about love and acceptance and grace always. And we are to be for the people society wants to cast out, the people who are oppressed and on the margins, the people who don't have enough voice. I'm sure many of you are able to think of groups that fit into that category in today's world. Perhaps your mind goes to the LGBTQ plus community or homeless folks or black people being oppressed by overt and systemic racism. So if that is what following Jesus looks like, being for these people, why isn't that how all Christians act? How can people claiming the same God, the God that is love, tell transgender folks their existence and wrong is, is wrong and doesn't matter, telling them God will not love them that way? How can people who say they're a failing God ignore the racism in our country? How can they continue to perpetuate the systems that are not opening and welcoming and safe for all people? How can they claim to be pro-life, but then do nothing to protect our children from gun violence in schools and movie theaters and malls? I can land on some logical answers, of course, that politics isn't religion, that they interpret the Bible differently than I do, and that God puts different things on all of our hearts. But honestly, that doesn't sit with me. That's not okay with me because I so deeply believe that that sort of Christianity is harming people. It is deeply hurting people in our world, and that is the opposite of love. I used to think that it was so beautiful to have all these different kinds of churches and denominations and ministries. There were so, so many of options of belief and ways to worship that could reach different people in different ways. I could look at it all and say, it's all working for the kingdom. But now I wonder if that's true. Aren't some of those churches and belief systems actually doing more harm than good? I don't have an answer to this question. I'm assuming maybe people all through time have felt this way, like, why does anyone who follows God think divorce is okay? And then we saw the formation of the first non-Catholic church, right? I think people have probably always wondered how other Christians can do things in the name of God that they, as Christians, disagree with. It's hard for me, and it, it hurts my mind to think about it, but mostly it hurts my heart. I firmly believe that God is for all people. And when I say for them, I mean that God is madly and deeply in love with them. This question and tension and wonder has become more and more pressing on my heart since we moved here this last summer. I'm new to this area of the world where I feel like those non-God or non-love views seem very loud. It often makes me feel alone and worried and like love is muffled and makes me feel pulled to speak up for God and for people and for love. But it also feels hard to do that because things feel wobbly and I feel not quite settled and rooted. But I'm finding my way 
I'm finding solid ground in other people who want to speak capital L, love, into the world. This community of crossings has helped me. It's allowed me to wonder and grieve and ask these big questions. It has given me people to help me with those things. And so I'm just thinking, if anyone else in this room ever wonders or feels alone, I'd love to listen and wonder and trust and struggle together with you. Hello. My name's Joey. Um, and uh, I love being a part of this community and hearing the intelligence and the awareness and the thoughtfulness of the people here. Um, and I've related to every question that's been brought up. Um, the song I'm going to share is called New Garden, which um, I think I did the forge thing here, and we talked about the new garden um, in the book of John where Mary mistakes Jesus as a gardener, and you kind of piece together the Old Testament with the, the garden and then this, this new way. Um, and I wrote it, I don't really, I'm not presenting a question, I think that this song is... For me, 20 years of questions, finally uh, finding a place of peace or, or some sort of understanding or acceptance of the mystery. Um, I wrote it after a friend who's also an artist, um, also an ex-Christian. Um, he said, Joey, why don't you give up on this religious stuff, you know, this Christian stuff, like look at the, the oppression, the history, the, the wackiness. Um, and uh, I went home and I remember that's what fueled me to write this song because uh, I knew where he was coming from because um, I had been there. Um, but through... pretty much letting the whole thing die for me in my 20s, um, giving it away. Uh, God found me in this new transformative, uh, I just had this deep experience that um, kind of wiped everything clean. And um, so I think um, I can tell I'm starting to get lost in what I'm trying to say, so I think I'm, this is where I'm just going to start singing. I'm no longer ashamed, not anymore. We're taking back our name. Take it out of the war. This is not versus them. It's not versus you. This is the new garden. I take it out of the zoo. This is the promised land under our nose. When you hold my hand, when you let it go. It's not about the hacks or the shattered history. This is 
He's taking it back to the mystery. This is who I am, not what I got in the bag. This is every man, not some totem flag. I'm going into my home. I did my time on the ground. Now time is my throne and death is my crown. This is the power of choice. I gave it up for so long. I didn't trust my voice. Didn't believe in my song. I'm gonna take it to the low, especially their eyes. I'm gonna take it where I go, take it up on high. And we still got the rest of our life to say hello or to pass. By. We still got the rest of our life. And this is always about love. Don't let them wrap it in shrines. Don't let them say it only comes if you say the right line. It found me in a ditch, it caught me on the chin. Oh. This is my gift, it's for me to open. And what a rapturous gift if you smell the rose. It's a miracle and I still don't know how I even exist in this bag of skin. But I no longer resist the kingdom within. I no longer resist. Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves like locked rooms and like books that are now written in a very foreign tongue. Do not now seek the answers which cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. We come to a table every week. Uh, it's a very ancient uh, tradition. Uh, it can be a very foreign tradition. And it can be a very tangible way that we enter into all that is unsolved in our hearts. 
we enter into this time called, we call it common meal. You may know it as the Holy Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, communion. Um, but it's a way that we enter into this story of Jesus. Um, the night before he was betrayed, he gathered his friends around a table. Uh, friends who probably all had very different questions about what was happening, uh, what was about to happen. Um, friends who saw the world probably differently. And yet they all came to a table and Jesus broke the bread for every single one of them and handed it to them. So this is for you, and this is for you, and this is for you. Uh, as a way to invite them into a story, to continue to ask their questions, to continue to wrestle with all that was unsolved in their hearts as well. 